Folks, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. We are on again with Mr. Chuck A. Fletcher today. Now, Chuck A. Fletcher is the site director at one of the uh, Lighthouse Youth Center campuses here in Milwaukee. He does a wonderful job, has a great impact on some young men's lives. He had a pretty significant impact on my own life as a college student, um, as a leader. He was actually my RA, uh, one of my first year on campus, he was my RA, which is kind of cool and kind of fun. Anyway, uh, he's going to talk about some real men. You're going to hear him drop that term, um, real men, and he's going to talk about what those real men look like. And he's going to talk about some real men that have been in his own life, and he's going to talk about some real men that uh, have impacted him. He's also going to talk about how he shows up as a real man for his family. And so I'm very excited to share this wisdom for you. Uh, it's kind of cool to see the insights into Chuck A's life and how even from his time as a as a very young man, even as a child, he was already looking out for the people around him and doing just what he says a real man ought to do. So without any further ado, once again, Mr. Chuck A. Fletcher on the Gird Up Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, again we have Mr. Chuck A. Fletcher. What do the kids call you? Mr. Mr. Fletcher? Fletcher. Okay. I thought about calling uh, when I first got hired at Lighthouse. Changed. I used to be, they, they call seminary students vicars. Okay. Even though they're not technically vicaring yet, but I thought I'd I thought about Director Fletcher, but that could get ridiculous really quick. <laughs> so I just went with the Mr. Fletcher. Yeah. Mr. Director, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to get to those two questions that I ask every every uh, guest I have. I ask the same two questions. I did miss one, though, so my record isn't perfect. Okay. But we'll get him back on. Anyway, uh, let's get a little background on you first. So you, you went to Garden Homes. Um, as a kid, was that all the way through like kindergarten through eighth grade? Yeah, I started. Uh, well, it's a school family for me. A school. Uh, all of my family went to Garden Homes. Um, my generation of family, the generation after me, and the generation above me all went to Garden Homes. So I went there K three through eighth grade. So you come from a pretty solid Christian family. Mm, not, not necessarily. necessarily. Okay, so but uh, when I say a generation above me, it was pretty much. Just one side of my okay. family who went there, okay. so uh, that side were pretty solid members at Garden Homes. But we're talking about two families now. Okay, so. yeah, right, exactly. Okay, so then um, coming through uh, through Garden Homes and and kind of growing up in Garden Homes, uh, obviously growing up in the city in the city of Milwaukee, kind of growing up in the hood. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean it, it is what it is. Yeah. You work. You work not too far from me, right? So yeah, you know how it is. yeah. I, I know how it is. <laughs> so uh, let, let's talk about your faith a little bit. Uh, so, g- did you get a lot of su- support for your faith and growing as a young Christian man at home? 
Yeah, I mean, we went to, my mom was one of those moms who she wanted us to grow up in the church. So she dragged us along as mm-hmm. kids. You're going to church this morning. You mm-hmm. know, one of them, you're trying to sleep in and she's dragging you to church. Uh, my mom was big on that. Uh, we we have members of my family who are Christians. It's just not a lot of them are Lutheran okay, Christians. Yeah. So we, we were kind of different from that perspective. Uh, we... Uh, we we went to you know we went to school there so obviously we went to church there. I wasn't an every Sunday worshiper. My family wasn't every Sunday. We were probably we were all right. We were two or three Sundays, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. but there were chunks in my childhood where we where we didn't go to church. Mm-hmm. And I, we actually this was part of our uh, we have biweekly staff meetings. And last year, uh, one of our seminary students led us through this series. Uh, talking about the the church in the new world, you know, leading the church through this millennial era. And, you know, I, I kind of explained, you know, they talked about how do we get people to come to church every single Sunday? And I do, I'm, I do think it's important to go to church. That mm-hmm. church is sometimes the only place where you can get this wonderfully crafted message from the pastor where you get to experience fellowship at a very high level. Church is one of the few places that provide that for you. Uh, but you know, in my childhood, I didn't go to church every single Sunday. And yet uh, in high school, you kind of take more responsibility of your faith, especially once you start driving, you get a job. And I went to church a lot in high school. You know, I went to church two to three times a Sunday. Uh, and I don't think it hindered my faith, you know, going two to three times a Sunday in a month. Uh other people have a different philosophy uh, of how much you should worship. You should be there every single Sunday. There's 52 weeks in a year. You should be there at least 50. Uh, and that's that's some people philosophy. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with that. Of course, I would love to have my school kids, my lighthouse kids in church 50 to 52 Sundays out of a year. But if that concept is foreign to their families, we're we're not going to see that out of our kids. That doesn't mean we can't ask them to strive towards that. But growing up in a black neighborhood, growing up in a back black family, I can certainly sympathize and empathize with the kids when it comes to how often that they're coming to church. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, you know, I was one of those kids where I went to church, but not every Sunday, just to be honest. Yeah. What were the demographics of uh, garden homes like at the time? Like, uh, was it Was it a predominantly black congregation or... Yeah, the one thing or about garden homes that or... I appreciate, uh, for the most part, our pastor and our teachers sent their kids there. Mm-hmm. So our church was mostly black, just because it's a black neighborhood and mm-hmm. most of the school is black. But there were quite a few white people who weren't affiliated with the school necessarily. And we're, we're blessed with our diversity. I'm going to say that. Teaching staff helps, <laughs> yeah, because they come they come to worship faithfully, right? Yeah, uh, and the majority of them are white, but we have some non uh, teachers who are white who still come to our worship service. We don't have a lot of Hispanics or a lot of Asians, but uh, for a congregation in the hood, it's kind of blessed that we got black and white people worshiping together, especially when we consider the climate of our of our country right now. I found out recently uh, that the back two rows uh, at Saloa just referred to me as the white guy. So I think, <laughs> white that's, pretty, I think that's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously your mom kind of was the driving force and was you and your kid behind behind your faith. Yes. 
Okay. So then coming into high school, you talked about you still went to church quite a bit. Yeah. Um, when you're at uh, Rufus King, you said you didn't have a lighthouse quite yet. Um, so what where, was it like? What kind of what did your ch- yeah what 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 did it look like? Man. Just going to church on yeah, Sunday? I, just, or? I asked my mom to take. I wasn't driving yet because right. it was only freshman and sophomore year, and I didn't turn sixteen until halfway through uh, through my sophomore year. So I wasn't necessarily driving yet, but I would ask my mom to take me to church uh, because I w- I was still fourteen, fifteen years mm-hmm. old. She was still tugging my arm a little bit to go, mm-hmm. but not quite as much. You know, yeah. a lot of it was asking her to take me and my brothers to church or, you know, uh, her, sometimes her dragging us along. Yeah. My brothers still sang in church. They were still at Garden Home, so we needed to be there for that, obviously. Oh, yeah. uh, so, and uh, we are blessed with uh, classes that we graduated with of people who go to church. I didn't go to high school with any of my classmates that I I didn't go to high school with uh, any of the classmates who I graduated Garden Homes Lutheran School with. So the only time I would see them is at church on Sunday. So oh, okay, for me, yeah. you know, it was kind of yeah. good to catch up with all of my right, friends yeah. who who hadn't uh, who I hadn't seen because I didn't go to high school with them. So yeah. So when you made that transition, you decided you were switching schools. Why Wisco? Because you have all kinds of options. Well, Wisco was really, I was, uh, so this is a funny story. <laughs> In eighth grade, I was originally signed up for Wisco. Okay. I went to football camp for a week at Wisco. And the coach, granted, I was playing AAU and that summer. It was 2004 summer. And we, we had a pretty good AAU team and uh, AAU basketball team. And I really, you know, all of my friends from AAU were going to Rufus King. And I had came home after this long trip, and I'm like, Mom, can I please, please, please go to Rufus King? <laughs> you know, my older brother had graduated. He had won two state championships, runner-up for Mr. Basketball. So all of my friends At are going to King. King. Yeah, my older oh, yeah. brother, who's four years older than me, he was graduating high school when I was coming into high school. Okay. My older brother had went to Rufus King. All of my friends are going to Rufus King. You know, my AU friends, not my school friends. Right, yeah. Uh, so – I was super excited, like, Mom, please, everybody go in there. You know, can I please go there? She's like, nope, nope. And then I go to Wisco football camp, and the coach says something that's uh, kind of derogatory towards about my brother who got in a, a lot of trouble at Rufus King. Uh, and he, my brother was a really well-known name early 2000s because he was so talented at basketball. But his, with his well-known name came <laughs> – his escapades as a as a high school student. So the coach at Wisco said something that made his way back to me uh, about my brother. Okay. And my mom was like, well, they blew it, you know. And I had been practicing with varsity, so it was a good chance. You know, I was yeah. going to play varsity at Wisco too. Uh, so she, she let me go to King. Let me tell you something about the difference between city football and suburban school <laughs> football. It's like night and day, man. Like, Wisco was the real deal in football. Then I got to Rufus King, and, I mean, my goodness. I was good, but <laughs> we were not very good. So, uh, we had good coaching. They just couldn't. Sometimes uh, basketball is the thing in the city, yeah. and football is not. So, you got really good athletes who don't have a good team. Good coaching just they yeah. don't have the they don't have the players to compete. 
Well, and, I, you see some of that with like uh, Riverside and, and yeah. was it Wind, Wind Point or whatever that is up there, where they have like every five years they'll just be phenomenal for a year because they get a group of kids that actually like football. To play football. Yeah, and you get some yeah. a- basketball athletes who like football, and then you get some really f- good football. Riverside had a tremendous team when yeah. I was in high school, and it, it matched up good coaching, players who cared about football, so they yep. lift weights. And it was just a really good combination. Tech, when I was in high school, Bradley Tech, yeah. put together like this, four, like you said, this four-year stretch of quality football yeah. players. Uh, uh, quality football. They team. might be the best example of that. Like, yeah. They'll just be terrible for like six years, and all of a sudden, bam. bam. And it's like, <laughs> what happened to this city team? And, uh, yeah, so that transition to Wisco, uh, it was the only option. It was King or Wisco the entire time. Uh, and I really enjoyed my time at King, uh, not academically though. And I, I wouldn't say I'm the, you know, I care that much about academics, but I was a 4.0 student before eighth grade. And like, I struggled to stay eligible at Rufus King. And that was a huge issue for me. Went to Wisco, 3.5, 3.6 every, every, uh, quarter. It just, Sometimes it's the environment, and I guess I wasn't strong enough to make it at King academically. And Wisco has – it's a pretty good school when it comes mm-hmm. to academics. I mean, the teachers require a lot out of you. Uh, and um, I they they pushed me and motivated me to do well. And King is a really good school, but I felt like more of the students at Wisco cared about hey, academics. See, that's what I was about to say is the norm is a lot higher at yeah. Wisco. Like the just – what your average Wisco student is putting out is often better than your average uh, I think, I think, public yeah, school student. That's you know? what it is. Yeah, Because yeah. King has some phenomenal students that are up top. But like you said, that middle ground might not be as great as it <laughs> the was. The bar at the bottom end is a lot higher. <laughs> so it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was tough. But I, uh, I, I'm glad I did the transition. And I saw how much I struggled at a, a public school. So I imagine how much my younger brother, who was, you know, another top recruit mm-hmm. like my older brother, I, I just knew he would struggle if he went to a public school. Yeah. Uh, so and he was way, way less academically inclined than myself. So <laughs> I can only imagine how it was going to go if he went to Riverside or King, where there are opportunities. Unfortunately, really, both are decent schools. Just there are opportunities to get in more trouble at those schools. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then coming into Wisco, what uh, you obviously I'm sure you weren't thinking about being a pastor on your way to Wisco, were you? Not really. Yeah. No. So what I mean, obviously, at some point, if you're having that conversation of, hey, I either want to go to Stevens Point or MLC, at some point there has to be like a, like a thought bubble yeah. or like a switch that gets flipped or something. So I, I'm guessing. This doesn't happen with a lot of black students at Wisco. But a survey went around, like, first two weeks of school when I'm at Wisco, and I'm sitting in religion class. Maybe even the religion teacher, teacher whose name is Keith Bow. I mean, you know, I, I said Mark Ricky earlier, but Keith Bow was another one of those teachers who pushed me so hard into ministry. I mean, these guys, <laughs> they would have carried me up there if it meant I was <laughs> going to get into ministry. Uh, but Keith Bow in a religion class, they circulated a, a survey asking, like, have you ever thought about being a pastor? Have you thought about it being a teacher? Then some more questions. And I'm like, I can see myself being a pastor. You know, I, I didn't get in trouble a ton. You know, I wasn't a disobedient yeah. kid. You know, I didn't 
I didn't get in a lot of trouble growing up. I mean, every kid makes mistakes, <laughs> but right. I didn't. I didn't get in a ton of a ton of trouble. So I'm like, I guess I can see myself being a pastor. Never thought about it before, ever, ever. I'm like, I'll check pastor. <laughs> After that, I mean, flocked with, you know, teachers who, I mean, just. <laughs> You're interested in being a pastor? You know what I mean? Just in my face. And, like, naturally you gravitate to towards certain adults uh, yeah. who are role models for you. And Keith Bow was one of those. I mean, he full court pressed me for, like, two <laughs> years on uh, becoming a pastor. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why I marked pastor. You know, it was just one of those things, like, I guess I could be a pastor. <laughs> Didn't you know, know you were starting. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And... You know, apparently, you know, sometimes, and I, I, I see it now. You like, you work with a kid, and you like, they are a little rough around the edges. I'm like, you could be something, you could be something amazing if you, right. you know, I just got to help you pull it out of yourself. You know, and I, I I'm willing to dedicate time. Man, Ricky yeah. and Bo uh, were, were two of those people, uh, who, they saw a young man who, unfortunately, we didn't necessarily see it in ourselves. Yeah, but they saw it in us, and you know, Bo wasn't everybody's favorite. Ricky was everybody's favorite. Uh, he was one of those guys with a brash personality. Probably could, you know, joke you under the bus. You know, you might <laughs> think you got a lot of ribs for him, but Ricky could probably give you forty before you, you know, you get to your tenth one. So, uh, those two men really, really pushed me into ministry. So, yeah. Uh, how about at MLC? Like, what, what? What I obviously you made it all the way to the seminary, and that's not an easy course of study to take. So, like, why you, you mentioned uh, Schmeling a little bit, um, yeah, but uh, like, why? What got you to the point where you're still going? Uh, at the seminary, the I mean, at at Martin Luther College, uh, it was Charlie. It was tough right away, man. It was uh, I. I had told you I was the majority at every school before I got to Wisco, and all of a sudden, I'm the only only black guy. You know what I mean? And not only am I sad to be away from home, but now I don't have anybody who can sympathize with my situation. You know, so I make friends, and of course, camp helps because no other students are on campus, right. but your football brothers. So I got all of these friends at football camp, man. All of these guys, sophomores, freshmen, juniors, these are my dudes. Everybody gets to campus now, prep students, seminary, uh, Michigan Lutheran Seminary students, Lakeside students, even like Manitowoc and Shoreland. And, yeah. you know, all of their friends get up there, you know, especially for sophomores, juniors, and seniors because their friends are coming from multiple high schools now. But for the freshman class, who I was the closest with, all of their real friends are at school now. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so I, you know, I'm like, these guys aren't, we, we're not sitting together in the cafeteria anymore, you know. Yeah. You know, before football practice, we were not talking a lot to each other. And, yeah. You know, I had a black roommate. His name was uh, Brandon Yancey, who came from Wisco with me. And uh, there was another guy named Sidney Arthurton, who was from the Caribbean, and another guy named Joey Molyneux. Yeah, I think you probably met yeah, Joey. Yeah, I know Joey. So, Joey, uh, we kind of formed our little clique, man. Even though Joey and Leslie were from Sydney, were from uh, uh, Antigua, like, we were, they were still black dudes. So, it's like we kind of formed this little, this little group of black people. And that, that's cool to have a little clique, but we still didn't forget, like, 
it's 800 students on campus <laughs> who are mostly white. Yeah. And, you know, that that's tough to feel alienated, uh, you know, to, you know, to feel so, not all the time, but somewhat feel marginalized. This is when Barack became president, too, when I was a freshman mm-hmm. at MLC. And I still remember people like having this is my first time voting, Charlie. So, <laughs> of course, I'm going to vote for the black man, you know. I'm I don't, I'm 18. I don't know that much about politics. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to go vote for Obama. And, I, you know, I was super excited. You know, me and my uh, my roommate, Brandon, like, yeah, man, we might have a black president tonight. And I just remember when they announced it was pretty late. I think 10, 30. It was pretty late. I just hear guys in the hallway. We're all 18-year-old students now. Right, so I yeah. know none of us know that much about policies <laughs> and and some of this other stuff, they're like, oh, the world is getting ready to end, just yelling up and down the hallway. I'm like, how insensitive is that for the people who who voted for Obama? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or who feels like this is good for America. It clear, I mean, that. I mean, that's tough. And that's in November. We're yeah. three months into school. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not that deep into school. And, uh, I mean, it's, it was moments like that that made me think, I don't, this might be tough for me. And freshman year was really tough. And then I met Ryan. It became a little bit easier. Ryan is probably the most outgoing person I ever <laughs> met in my life, um, which is a good thing. But I'm not a fan of getting into shenanigans with Ryan. <laughs> um, he uh one of the most outgoing people there. And he was a big support system for me. Because uh, as, a, as a black person coming from Milwaukee, Big city. Now you're in small town, small town USA. Yep. New Orleans, Minnesota, and you know what is that? Western Minnesota. I don't know where is that. South exactly. Central. South Minnesota. Central. There we yeah, go. Yeah. And you're you're coming to this city and town, you know, where you're spending all this time on a college, and you just seem so different from everybody. Yeah. And Ryan really pushed and forced me to come out of my comfort zone. Like, yeah, give this a try, man. You know, go through it, fight through it, do this, do that. Which is irritating in the moment, but you, I think about it, 18-year-old Chuck A was a lot less likely to do something fun or do something outgoing than 28-year-old Chuck A. <laughs> and I attribute that a lot to to Ryan. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine to this day was here last weekend. We, uh, I'm not going to tell you what time I went to bed. He stayed at my <laughs> house, but... Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, that guy was a, a huge reason for why I lasted at MLC. And then what I realized at MLC, it's kind of like a pattern. So, I'm assuming you went to Shoreland, right? Yeah, I did. Shoreland. So, uh, and there weren't a ton of Shoreland people, I assume. I, there was four of us, I think. Yeah. So, as a public school kid or a Shoreland kid, it's just, or any area Lutheran grade school kid, it's different coming up there because – it seems like MLS and Prep send so many people up there compared to yeah. other schools, yep. and they immediately click up freshman year. Yeah, and sometimes you have a hard and long process to integrate those clicks. Well, and, and some of them have been rooming together for four years already too, and you know stuff like I mean? that. Just and, like, and then guess what happens? Those guys stop going there. They get kicked out. <laughs> ministry's not for them. Oh, and then yeah. all of a sudden, those clicks are a lot less easy to integrate. Then, yeah. And you start building relationships with people mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And I, I saw that at my time at MLC. Um, there are guys right now who, no way, I didn't think I was going to be friends with them freshman year. They weren't interested in being friends with me. Yeah. But then their cliques fall apart, you know, through a number of natural things or genuine, genuine reasons. 
and these guys are your friends now. Yeah. Uh, there are probably like five guys who I can name right now who are my, I would call them lifelong friends with the relationships we developed after freshman year. Uh, and that, it just happens, man. I just yeah. had to make it freshman year. And I did, obviously I didn't know that in the moment, but it got a lot better after freshman year. Freshman yeah. year was tough. You got a bunch of knucklehead white 18-year-olds who were just top stuff last year as seniors. And mm-hmm. we got to find our, our role in the food chain, and we're still freshmen. Exactly. So. Well, and there's a, there's a fair amount of that, too, where you're like, you don't really want to be friends with them until <laughs> – I mean, that's just – you know, like, you, you got to mature a little bit, they got to mature a little bit, right. and, and you finally kind of meet in the middle yeah. on the way up, too. And it, it was it was a big part of that. Football yeah. always helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Football helps a lot. I always tell people – Number one, it's right away during the yep. year, so it helps. You're building relationships. And being in sports, period, if it's baseball or football or baseball or basketball or any sport, uh, it helps as a non-white student to be in one of those sports because uh, it just does, man. It yeah. helps a ton for me. So It helped for me, so I assume it helps other yeah. minorities who are up there build those relationships, have those instant connections. So, I'm curious about New Alm a little bit, too. So, New Alm is, what, like 17,000 Is it something big? like that? I, it might not, I would probably be, not I would even be that shocked big. if it was I mean, like that, it's growing. I mean, we got a Walmart now, so it's growing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, there were a very small minority population in New Alm, yes, too. Yes, yes. Um, and we did that uh, Park and Rec coaching together and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah, I forgot like, about that. Just, yeah, right. I still got my shirt and everything. <laughs> um, but, like, just... Like just, I'm just interested. Was that did that play any? Trying to think of how I want to phrase this question. Culturally, they're not used to seeing you, and you're not used to being a minority. Um, like, did that play? Like, was that a big deal or was that not a big deal? I don't. I don't know. What I I, so I always feel like, what if what if I got called to if I was going to school to be a pastor and I made it through. What if, and I knew, I, I doubt the Senate or the, the people who make the call assignment list would ever do this. What if I got called to, like, northern Idaho or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or southern right. Wyoming or yeah. something to a small congregation. And I'm like, that would be so weird. That would be so weird. Yeah, and do you, that, that's what I would tell no, myself. I feel you, yeah. But I, I think you. for kids, it it they might not necessarily comprehend yet why it was weird why why that's it would true be weird. that's true uh so in new Orleans, i i enjoy coaching the you know the little kids you know what i mean because to them it didn't make a difference yeah I mean, they knew true. i didn't look like them but yeah they don't care you know you, yeah it's football you know what i mean you know uh so to them it's not that huge yeah and then once what i've noticed uh especially working at lighthouse i haven't worked with a ton of white kids i, I taught <laughs> I mean, I worked at Salem and Salem Lutheran on 107th and Mill Road, and they had some white students. And they had black students and they had white students, which I love diverse schools. Uh, I love diverse settings because it kind of helps kids build these culturally appropriate mindsets before they get to their teenage and college years. Uh, So at Salem, I got to experience both sides of teaching black and white kids. And I really enjoyed that, man, because, uh, I mean, you get to kind of see the, the good and the bad in both of them, man. Um, so I really I really enjoyed working at Salem when I when I was at the seminary my freshman year for the summers. 
but I, I don't think kids necessarily realize that, man. Yeah. Like, I've had one kid, and I've worked with a number of white kids before, uh, but I had one kid who said something that was racially insensitive, but I didn't blame it on him because he was so young. I said, you would not have crafted that thought in your head on your own. You heard somebody else say it, and yeah. that's not all right, but it, you know, and this was a kid I loved. Like, I tell my wife all the time, I'm not going to say his name on here. He might be at <laughs> Wisco now. But this, I mean, this was probably one of, black or white, the most difficult kid I ever dealt with. <laughs> uh, and I love this kid. I loved him. I mean, I, I love this kid. They always worm themselves in. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And because you spend the most time dealing with them. Yeah. And their success and their failures feel like your successes <laughs> are <laughs> yep. failures. Yep. When you have a good day with that kid, you're like, yes, we did it. Yes. <laughs> we did it together. And then when you fail, you're like, what did we do wrong? What yep, did you exactly. do wrong? <laughs> and you get so invested in that kid yeah. who, uh, who struggles. Uh, and it's because you spend so much time trying to make that relationship work. <laughs> so, yeah. To be completely honest, I'm kind of getting to the point. Like I love, I am right now. I'm coaching junior Vikings, uh, so I, like I'm working with the Wisco, like the pre-Wisco kids, and the majority of the team, you know, good white kids from the suburbs. You know, I I like working in in the hood more because like there's so much less time for crap. You know, like there's there's uh, a sense of urgency that you're not gonna find most of the, most places where like. You get caught up on just stupid stuff <laughs> in the suburbs. And I, I, not that, not as a rule, but just like, why are we arguing about you know like who's nice to who or whatever? Like, I, 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 I understand why it's a big deal, but when like there's a real threat of if we don't figure this out now, there's like your future is very limited. When you have that sitting in front of you, we can push the rest of our difficulties and disagreements aside and we can make this work right and and we can find a way to make it work and that's what i really enjoy about working man. working with the kids i get to work with i realized it's about myself stakes. man if it's uh if it's cut and dry this is how you do it uh i don't know if i'll be that successful it's i need exactly some verity <laughs> i need some verity uh variety yeah. i need some uh i need a little bit of you know i always tell people i work good under pressure I love when it's a deadline against my back because that's when I work my best because I'm going to make it happy. Uh, and I, I, I kind of – academically, that's how I work too, man. <laughs> I hate I hate working three, four weeks ahead. You know what I mean? Some guys, that's how their brain works. No, I need I need some pressure. I need a little bit of some real-life results. I need a little bit of diversity happening, some, some chaos happening because it makes me feel like – I can do this. <laughs> you know, you, you want to stretch yeah. those skills so that you keep them honed. Yeah. Some guys aren't that way. They will fold very quickly if stuff doesn't <laughs> go their way. And that's yeah. why I like Lighthouse because it teaches our pastors, like, you realize when you get into ministry, there are going to be things that you have no control over as a pastor. Yeah. When you get a, a wife who walks in and tells you that her husband's been cheating on her for four years. And she doesn't know what she wants to do. You know, she's thinking about hurting herself. I mean, as a pastor, yeah. you can't prepare yourself for that. No. Uh, not saying that that happens at Lighthouse, but some of the daily occurrences, and you said the urgency in some of our kids' life in the hood. Mm. I mean, that you, you need to figure this out. Not who's been nice to each other, but what's going to happen with this kid if we don't do A, B, and C. Exactly. Helps prepare some of our seminary students for parts of what ministry life will be like so yeah 
That's why I enjoy working with Sims. All right. As we come up against the deadline here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you talked a little bit about some of the men, especially at Wisco, um, but some of the men in your life who really pushed you in the direction that you've ended up going and been quite successful so far, making a huge impact in the city. Uh, I got two questions for you. The first is uh, if you could go back and talk to your 18-year-old self for five minutes, what would you tell him? Uh... I think I would tell my 18-year-old self the life is going to be okay. Don't t- don't take everything so serious. Um, I think about 18. Anything that happened to me, I assume my life was over. <laughs> uh, and I'm uh, I, I see it with the kids, young men and young women we serve at Lighthouse. Between 16 and 18, I thought everything that happened in my life, me, not. You know, almost being ineligible for basketball, I thought my life was over. I thought it's like I can't, I can't play basketball, or you know what I mean. We we had a really big bad situation my senior year, and I lost it. My brother lost that. A friend who lost it in the middle of a basketball game, and uh, we got we got in a little bit of trouble at school because of that. And I just thought it was the end of the world. You know, I thought it wasn't fair. I was finna blow out. I would tell my 18-year-old self, don't take things as serious. Uh, you know, most of these things that happen to you will not affect you 10 years from now. I'm 28 years old. I can't even remember half the things that happened senior <laughs> year. You know what I mean? There are probably yeah. two or three things that have shaped me who I am today. But for the most part, life yeah. is life. And there's going to be random ups and downs. And you just got to learn to roll with them. Because yeah. if you <laughs> fluctuate your emotions or uh, make these temp uh uh lifelong decisions of temporary emotions you're gonna fail buddy <laughs> and i wish i could tell my younger self that just chill don't take yourself so seriously yeah man. so take that weight off your shoulders yeah you know so yeah that's what i would tell my 18 year old self yeah. that's sage advice <laughs> sage advice all right last question and the big wind dinger here i don't know what that word means but it sounds fun <laughs> so the uh the question is uh, what does it mean to be a Christian man, or what makes a Christian man? Uh, I'm, I, I spent on my. I told you I didn't think much about this <laughs> when you when you sent me the pre question. Means it comes from the heart. Yeah. So I had about five minutes to think about this question on my way home, and I spent about four minutes thinking about it. So I guess for me, a Christian man uh, is someone who's spiritually grounded in his faith. Uh, that means you're secure in your faith. Uh, and a big part of who I am is your morals and your support for your family. I love my dad, but he made a lot of mistakes in his life. Uh, uh, made a lot of mistakes, and I told myself that I would not make those same mistakes in my own life. And if you can't make wise decisions for your family, you're not a real man. Not saying that about my dad. He's an awesome guy, real man. Uh, but I told myself I won't make the same failures that he'll make. And real men take care of their families. Uh, they put them in the best situation so they don't have to worry about things. That includes your wife. That includes your children. And most importantly, you're spiritually grounded. Um, you're going to church. You're reading God's word. You're praying as often as you can. Uh, you're sharing God's word with your own kids, with your own family. But most importantly, you're sharing it with the people around you. Uh, it's easy to be in home Christian, 
<laughs> that's really easy, right? Yeah. Uh, to be an in-home Christian. You know what I mean? Yeah. You do all of the right things here, but when you step out in the real world, your faith is like this hidden pocket, <laughs> hidden piece of treasure that you keep in your pocket. I do my best to make sure that I wear my faith on this, on my sleeve. Now, I do a lot of stupid stuff because I'm a man and I'm sinful. Uh, but most of my friends and most of the people know me. I went to school to be a pastor, and they know how important my faith is to me. And I try to live my faith as often as I can. Uh, so part of being a real man is staying spiritually grounded, making sure that God, Christ is your foundation, and taking care of your family, man. Two big things. If you do those things, everything else will fall in line. So that's my answer, Charlie. Awesome. Cool. I appreciate your time. It's been awesome. Sorry to steal away from your family a little no, bit tonight. No problem, man. I've, I've been preparing my wife for this all week. so <laughs> She might have act shocked, but I definitely talked to her about it multiple times. So I'm <laughs> not right. in that much trouble. Thanks for having me, though, Charlie. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. If there's somebody, especially somebody uh, at MLC or thinking about ministry that wants to talk to you or connects with your story, is there some way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, should I should I put my number and email in this? Uh, I'd say email maybe. Or oh, you're on Facebook. Yeah, right? Chuck A. Fletcher yeah. on Facebook. Uh, Chuck A. is spelled C H U Q E E. I know this is a very weird name, but Fletcher is spelled regular F L E T C H E R. Chuck A. C H U Q E E. Then Fletcher spelled regular. My email is ridiculously long, so I won't put it on <laughs> here. Uh, so it's Chuck A. Dot Fletcher. At LighthouseYouthCenter.com. So go. that is stupid long. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, you can text me. I don't care if you text me or call me. Just explain yourself. Just don't leave me a voicemail or something. But my number is 414-469-0750. Uh, especially uh, I made it through MLC. Uh, God blessed me throughout my time there. I made some wonderful friends. Uh, I made some wonderful faculty friends. I uh, didn't burn any bridges, hopefully, while I was <laughs> while I was there. Uh, but uh, just a wonderful time. So if you're struggling with anything, uh, I'll be willing to talk to you. I can point you to this, some direction to some of the faculty who helped me while I was there. Uh, but God's blessings on your mission, mission uh, in your, your work through MLC. Thank you, Charlie, for having me on your podcast, <laughs> man. Had a wonderful time sharing my story. Yeah, uh, I use a lot of these anecdotes when I talk to my kids, so it's kind of cool to share them on a little bit bigger stage. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U N G E M A C H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four and five star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one. <laughs>